and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are making our way through the apocalypse. Quite literally, the apocalypse, revelation, first word of revelation, apocalypse of Jesus Christ, means unveiling or uncovering. This is the reality. This is the eternal state. This is what is. It's just that we don't always see it. But John gets to see it, and John then writes it down and passes it along to the church of all times and places. So this is the deal, and we are at a huge turning point. Chapter 12 is on the docket. If you think of the book of Revelation in two major acts, Acts 1, Acts 2, this would be the turning point. Uh, From here on out, we're going to get kind of an elaboration of things that we've heard before. Uh, it'll, It'll definitely enhance things, and it'll come to a kind of fulfillment at the end, but this is we're going to have some allusions to what's been going on before, and we're going to I'll make some ties uh, as we go along. But this is a this is a big turning point. This is giving us now in chapter twelve uh, a look at the woman and the dragon, the nature of the conflict between uh, the true church and the false church. You might say uh, the holy trinity and the unholy trinity. We'll say more about that as we go along. Uh, it all starts kind of here, and um, And chapter 12 is a doozy. You might have heard this before. We get Michael and the angels in here and war and a dragon, and there's all kinds of stuff. So without further ado, as they say, let's jump in. The text of Revelation 12 reads as follows. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. 
The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Okay, so there we have the text of Revelation chapter 12. This is actually the first time in the book where we have this language of sign, a great sign. Um, so we're again in the language of what depicts a reality through symbols and images and so on. Numbers, we get 1260, you heard some of that too. Time, times, half a time, okay. So these things stand for something. They signify something. We're going to have this word sign several other times in the book. I actually heard it a couple times already in this chapter, right? The sign of the woman, the sign of the dragon. So what do these things stand for? A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, on her crown. As he went through, this, who is this woman? Is it Eve? Is it Mary? Give birth to a male child who's to rule all the nations? Is it Israel? The wilderness stuff? Is it... You can maybe see where I'm going with this. The woman is the church. The woman is... God's people, the woman is God's bride. We'll see the the later on in the Bible. We'll have two women later on, the prostitute, um, and then also the wife of the lamb, the bride of the lamb, the marriage of the lamb. Well, the woman is the church. And so the woman here, first things first, clothed with the sun. I love the revelation emphasis on the clothing. You have to know first thing first, especially in the midst of identity crises, First things first, God's people, his bride, his church, has been clothed with the sun, which is exactly himself, the son of man, face shining like the sun in chapter 1. First and foremost and most central to who you are is how you've been clothed with Christ. That is at the core of your identity. That's at the core of this woman's identity. She's been clothed with the sun, the S-U-N, uh, which radiates from the S-O-N in chapter 1, the sun, with the moon under her feet and her crown, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So she's, well, the 12 again, what is this? Like an Israel made perfect, prophets, 12 uh, tribes, 12 apostles. You have this like select chosen group. This is the church, and this woman represents uh, not only the church, but also the being clothed with Christ, fundamental to the identity, and that she reigns with Christ, whatever we get into next. So, hey, what dragon, where'd the dragon come from? And what's with all the problems here in chapter 12? War up in heaven, how's that even possible? But she has the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She's not the only one to wear a crown. Of course, our Lord wears a crown too. And she wears a crown of 12 stars. She reigns already. Whatever we get into, she reigns. She comes out victorious. It reminds me kind of of the Suffering Servant poem where it's like high and lifted up and exalted before you hear anything. That sets the tone. That's our guaranteed victory before you think through any sort of affliction and persecution and suffering. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and in the agony of giving birth. You know, this is creation. 
This is, you know, you might think, um, you might think Eve, for example, and in the belly having, John writes, I love the Greek there, in the belly having, crying out in birth pains. This is the fall. In pain you will bring forth children, right? This is the fall. This is Genesis 3. Okay. Um, and the torment of giving birth. This is the, the word, again, that's used when you chase after idolatrous practices, it will bite you, it will sting you, it will torment you. But there's also the torment of the other kind of torment. There's two kinds of torment in the book, and that is the torment of the afflictions that God's people, uh, that they undergo throughout this life. The birth, all of creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 8, until the redemption of our bodies, everything in creation is waiting for the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. You know, our Lord used this too. When a woman is uh, in labor and giving birth, right? Uh, The pains that are involved. But then she rejoices uh, when her hour comes. She doesn't even think of it anymore. But for joy that the baby has come into the world. John 16, right? Same thing here. Um, And... That's known first before we get to the dragon business. Again, she will reign and be victorious. You will reign and be victorious in Christ, even through all of the pains and groanings of the the childbirth uh, that we have to undergo. And appeared also a sign in heaven, behold, a dragon, great dragon, fiery red, having uh, seven heads and, uh, what, ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. This is big. So red dragon, fiery dragon. You think blood. You think, uh, yeah, the war fair, the bloodshed. The dragon's out for, 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 for blood. I mean, you think of red elsewhere in the Revelation. It's okay. Seven heads and ten horns. You get the idea that this dragon is a counterfeit ruler like the son of man like the church this is he's gonna be a counterfeit son of man hey i've got seven heads and ten horns i've got you know lots of on his head seven diadems don't i look don't i have royalty i rule to some extent aren't you attracted to that the ruler of this world our lord called him the ruler of this world now the ruler of this world is cast out um He's a counterfeit son of man. He's also a counterfeit church. The woman has a crown of 12 stars. Well, hey, I've got on my heads uh, 10 horns and seven diadems, so I can have those two. And I can't help but think these horns really intrigue me. The altars, horns of the altar, bind the festal sacrifice up to the horns of the altar, Psalm 118. Um, This dragon sets up counterfeit altars as well. Very religious, this dragon. Hey, I can reign too. Hey, I have altars too. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Um, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So the, the tail cast, so he's got some minions with him. Um, this dragging or drawing, he threw down a third of the stars. So um, what? He cast them down. There are followers here. We know this, the rebellious angels. We know the rebellious, the demons, and everybody that followed the dragon in this rebellion. Cast him down to earth. And the dragon, it's interesting. Is the dragon still in heaven? I mean, he's going to get booted out later in verse 9. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore the child, she might devour. I love this line because what does that imply? 
He can't touch her. He stands before the woman who was about to give birth. Can you picture that there are paintings that depict that he's just standing there so that when he she bore the child, he might consume it. A couple things I love about this verse. One, he can't touch her. He can stand right next to her, licking his chops, you might say, and trying to intimidate her and so on, but he cannot touch her. Don't give in to him. He cannot touch you. He cannot bother. He's on a leash. Don't go that route. Okay. And then the other thing that I love here is the the language of so that he might devour him. Same language that's used for John when he's told to take and eat. Take and eat the scroll, John. Take and devour. Take and eat the scroll made flesh. That's your victory. And the irony here is exactly that the dragon wants to consume the same the same substance. I want to consume this child. John is told, take and eat, but consume for a very different purpose. Okay? Um, and so even in the dragon's behavior, we're reminded of what we should be consuming. Um, and she brought forth a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This language is is Psalm 2 language. We've heard it before, chapter 2. Not only does the Messiah rule with a rod of iron, but he also, in chapter 2, he's going to give that reign to you. And uh, for the churches that stay faithful, end of chapter 2 there, you can look at it. And so that's, I love that language that's been extended to all those who reign with him. And it's very similar, this word for staff we've, we've had before, it's the word uh, that we just had in the last chapter at the beginning. Measure, here's a staff. Go measure the, the church. Look at the church from the perspective of what I've given you. From the rod, from the staff. You might see empty pews, but look at it from this perspective. Totally victorious. You reign with me. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against this word and sacrament going forth. So she brings, okay, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Fascinating stuff. This is like the birth, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord all in like one sentence. Uh, he's caught up uh, to God and to his throne. Verse 6, um, and the woman flees to the wilderness. What comes to mind? Well, the, man, the you know, the many and various, but the famous wilderness journeys of the Bible. Of course, the people of Israel, the big one. Elijah and others had to kind of retrace some of these steps for various reasons. But this is the place we are in. The, the church is in the wilderness of this world. And she flees to what? She flees to the wilderness where she has there a place prepared by God in order that she would be nourished there for 1260 days. I have prepared a place for you. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? The language is heaven. I've gone to prepare a place for you. In my father's mansions are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. You know, I go to prepare a place for you. The language is heavenly. And yet here, do you see it? It's in the wilderness. I've given you heaven on earth already now in the place that's been prepared for you. In the wilderness, you have a place there and she flees to it. It is the most important thing on the calendar, on the schedule, on Sunday morning in the entire life of this woman. This is us. This is the church. She flees to it, runs to this place 
again and again and again, flees to the place that's been prepared for her in the wilderness because it's heaven on earth. It's the oasis in this wilderness of this, of this world because she is there nourished, made to grow. She's tended, she's fed for 1260 days. The time there, by the way, is it's kind of an odd, like oh, 1,200, what's that all about? 1260 days, same as 42 months or three and a half years. The gig is that we've, we've run into this before, three and a half. It's not the full seven. It's a segment of time. It's a set period of time. It's not the full gig. It's not the. It's a broken seven. It's a half a seven. It's not the full, but it's a set period of time where she is to be nourished. That's the place of our refuge. That's where we, to the place to which we flee, uh, to where we go again and again throughout the wilderness of this world, until that great and majestic uh, eighth day that has no end throughout these twelve hundred sixty days. Let's take a break there. We'll pick it up with Michael and uh, the angels in the war in heaven in just a moment. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcast, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Revelation chapter 12. What a doozy of a chapter. Now we're getting into, what, Michael and All Angels Day right here. There's war in heaven, which <laughs> that alone is, okay, war in heaven. How is that possible? That's worth thinking about. But, you know, throughout the book of Revelation, there are two wars. Uh, there's the kind of war that, yeah, the two parties involved, true church, false church, two wars one is waged upon the church and the other is when the church is on offense the son of man the uh the rider on the white horse of chapter 19 i mean it's kind of a offense defense kind of thing there's a lot of twos in revelation the, the two wars also um michael and his angels waging war with the dragon who picked the fight i mean this on this two war thing on the one hand the dragon is going to definitely pick some fights, but listen carefully. Michael and his angels waged war with the dragon. Okay? Now, this is huge because it suggests that this is not just like everybody was just sitting around, nothing to do. They're playing euchre. They got into an argument about who's a true Lutheran. 
and then the dragon, you know, flips his flips the table over and kind of loses his temper or whatever. Um, the deal here is that everything in the book of Revelation stems from the slain lamb. Nothing happens apart from him. This war is a direct result of the victory of that male child who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron, caught up to God and to his throne. Um, some translations even kind of argue that the, the specific Greek lamb, I'm not going to get into it, but the Greek construction, the phrasing in Greek is very weird. And uh, some have argued that it's uh, the expression means that it he had to, like there's no choice but to do this in light of what we know about this male child who will rule the. Now that presses our chronology a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, we we like to think of the the Bible. You have this like God sets up the plan. It's plan A, and then the Garden of Eden happens, and then it's oh my goodness, I need a plan B. Revelation knows no plan B. Lamb slain from the foundation of the world is plan A the entire time. And it really presses us to kind of think about this, whoa, plan A, everything revolves around Christ crucified. Even this war rising in heaven, Michael, this is a direct result. I think Michael is a type of Christ. Michael, by the way, is like an archangel. He's, I mean, there are a lot of angels, but some are archangels, ruling angels. They have special authority. He's in Daniel a few times, and he's very close to the Son of Man. So you get this like, Michael, I think, is a type of Christ. What you see him doing here is representative at, at an angelic level of what our Lord himself does at the level of all of creation. Michael fights and um, is that kind of picture or figure of what happens in the angelic realm. Even as those who are called and ordained when they forgive sins, out go the you know, unclean spirits of the baby in the baptism, as it were. Uh, at the earthly level, um, spiritual all the same, as you know. But this is the kind of this is the kind of reality. Michael and his angels. This is connected in every way to the one who's going to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. He cannot help but be defeated because Michael and his angels are fighting um, in light of that. Because of that, he was defeated. There's no longer any place for them in heaven. You get the you know the, the play on names there. The, no longer any place. You have a place in the wilderness. There's no longer any place for them. The great dragon's thrown down. The ancient serpent, who's called the devil, the Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. This gets us like, okay, we're all in the same, that, that, that serpent in the Garden of Eden I mentioned, the devil, the Satan, this covers all of it. Absolutely every name in the scriptures for this entity taken care of. He was thrown down to the earth. His angels were thrown down with him. And then the voice says, Something very intriguing. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. I love this little gig here. So this is a voice in heaven who's speaking of our God. Notice the collective here, the plural, our God, um, who accuses our brothers. Um, there are angels who speak to John later and we are, don't worship me. We're, I'm a fellow servant with you. Um, and there's this kind of, we're all to, you might not be an angel, John, but we're together in the sense of there's a brotherhood that exists here. Um, 
fellow serving that exists, the brotherhood, you could argue, well, I guess this is, who's saying this? Is this just the, the accusers of our brothers? Is this the, the church militant? Um, what I love about this, too, is that they've conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Hey, I thought this was about how strong Michael was and all his angels. You see how this all revolves around the lamb slain. Your entire life, our existence as Christians, everything revolves around him. Our identity at its core, the clothing and baptism, as I mentioned, the victory that he wins on our behalf. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, I'm going to reference this again shortly here at the end. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in uh, with them, in them. But woe to you, for he comes down, he knows his time is short. I love that too, because it raises all kinds of questions. Why not just obliterate him? (sighs) It's like you see how he has been given a very restricted reign. He stands next to the woman and he can't, and he can't touch her. And then he gets an even tighter restriction. He's not in heaven anymore. He's down to the earth and sea. And he's told that his time is short. Put him in a cell. Make it a nine by nine. Now make it a seven by seven. Now make it a five by five and tell him, uh, here's a clock that, that is ticking with how long you have left. Put it in his cell. Make sure it's loud. Keeps him up at night. Now make it a three by three. Do you see what's happening as we move through Revelation? And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, like it, <laughs> I love that. Like what just happened? <laughs> Did it take him a minute to realize that? I love that line. It doesn't seem necessary to me, but it's um, when he saw that <laughs> he had been thrown down to earth. I mean, was that a beat down or what? It took him a minute to realize it. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Very similar story here is that, okay, so now he has free reign just in earth, right? Well, no, not exactly because he can't catch this woman, can't get the male child. Let's try the woman, can't get the woman. She gets two wings of an eagle, which is a very rich, I think I talked about this in, Oh, uh, chapter eight, maybe, or something like that. The eagle is, yeah, I think it was chapter eight. The eagle's a big deal where it's kind of both a law and gospel kind of thing. On the law side, eagles and vultures and things that'll just devour. But on the gospel side, the Lord, I'll raise you up on eagle's wings. We have that hymn and all that. Um, How I lifted you and bore with you on eagle's wings. You run and not be faint and walk and not be weary. And the eagle is... um, you know, this is a very gospel-centered kind of imagery here where the Lord gives this kind of flight uh, so that she might fly from... The, John's gospel, by the way, usually gets the symbol of the eagle. That's kind of a, something else, I guess. So she might go to that place again time, times, and half a time. So the deal at time, time, same thing as a three and a half. Time, one. Times is two. So in Hebrew, you have this dual uh, before a plural. In English, we just have singular, plural. In Hebrew, you have singular, dual, and plural. So you can say a dual, a two of something. Time, times, that's two. And then half a time is just another way of doing three and a half for that set period. The serpent pours water out of his mouth uh, like a river after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. I love the emphasis on the mouth. Elsewhere, we'll see what goes out of the mouth of this dragon and his beasts, this unholy trinity. Um 
a flood of words. He does his damage by speech, by speaking and so on. A flood of words. Um, but the so the church lives by the word. In the meantime, in the midst of this flooding of words, I mean, just look around—a flood of words, right? Um, I'm trying to figure out like, YouTube comments or something like just a flood of filthy words. That's what he goes after her with. But the earth comes to the help of the woman. The earth opens its mouth, swallows the river poured from his mouth. So there's an irony here that, you know, the pours from his mouth. And then the earth opens its mouth to swallow up what comes from his mouth. All this emphasis on what's being said. Um, the Lord even using the things of creation to, uh, to take care of this, this, uh, this flood of words. It's kind of an anti-exodus, isn't it? You know, the kind of. Death swallowed up by victory here. This kind of, you know, the, what, the parting of the Red Sea and you cross through. Now we have the problem of words, but it's, but it's taken care of by the, by the parting, by the opening up of the mouth. Finally, I want to end on this. This is huge. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, goes off to make war on the rest of her seed, which is Genesis 3.15, her seed, who will crush the serpent's head, her seed, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Do you see how we're included in that? Her seed, Christ, isn't that? Galatians 3, in other words, that's, that's Christ. Her seed, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. We are victorious in the seed of the woman. And guess what he does? The dingleberry goes after those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the commandments of God, that's exactly what kicked his butt in the first place. Go to verse 11 again. They've conquered him. How? By the word of their testimony. Hey, here's an idea. I just got my bum kicked by the testimony of Jesus. Let's go after those who keep the testimony of Jesus. You see the gig? Hold to the testimony of Jesus. Stay steadfast in the faith confessing the word of God that's been given to us and he can't touch you. What a great little chapter. Lots to say there. He stood on the sand of the sea, which is kind of reminds you of Abe, doesn't it? Hey, Abe gets the sand of the sea. We'll all have a bunch of peeps too. And uh, we're going to say more about that next time as we move along. Hey, let's keep moving though. Spread the word. Tell your family and friends that they can learn with us about this. It's been a fun ride so far. Let's keep going. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian Gurman, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you.